Hi everyone, welcome back. Um, so last episode, I gave you some background on my personal history with stress-related health issues. And usually um, there's two sides of the story. There's the person who's going through it, and then there's the person or people who are helping them go through it. And today I've got my husband, my partner, my BFF, Mr. Lee, um, here to tell the other side of the story. So if you are helping somebody going through a health-related issue, um, I thought it would be really helpful to hear from Lee about his perspective on the whole experience, as well as talk to you guys about like how that affected our relationship and how we're still unpacking all of it and how it changed our relationship. Um, so yeah, let's just get started. Hello. Hi. <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? I think you did. I, I'm, I did. I'm Lee. I'm Jen Jennifer's. You're my better half, so whatever that makes me, the, the lesser. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe tell them a little bit about our history together. Like, are we good? How far back do you want to go? Just... <laughs> Just we've known each other for a long time because we we met at Frog and we were friends for a very long time, but it took us about what nine years to realize that we liked each other, mm -hmm. and that's been awesome ever since. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now it's like what eight years? Yeah, we've been nine, together yeah. almost. We've been married almost eight years. Yeah, uh, and how has how was the first? Six years of that. Good. It's just been like pedal to the metal nonstop, trying to do all the things and always challenging each other to grow and be better humans and have honest and even if they're difficult conversations about things. And like, really, I think that's, it's just, an, I love that we get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you say pedal to the metal mm -hmm. for the first six years, could you <laughs> say a little bit more about that? What did that look like? Um, I felt like we were, because we're both older and had both been through prior marriages and had like, we, we just, I felt like we were trying to cram all of the past time of us not being together into the reduced future that we have, I guess, you know, the reduced amount of time that we have on the planet. So we were just trying to pack everything in as much as possible. Yeah. Um, while also what both of us are very career driven or, um, a big part of our identity is like what we do. Mm -hmm. And so like trying to have our relationship and grow it and make it be as close and connected as possible. And then also growing our careers, doing things that like personally bring value and joy to our lives. And then also figuring out how to integrate me having kids and you being a stepmom, mm -hmm. um, thinking about where we want to live, 
just yeah it's just everything everything everywhere all the time. All <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was a lot the first couple of years and and that now it just continues to be a lot but in a different way um why do you think i mean you said we were both very career driven and we both had at least like a percentage of our identity tied up in our careers mm-hmm. how was your uh experience with like career and stress and identity different than how you think i approached it i.e why did i see the stroke <laughs> and not you <laughs> well i you i think definitely well we, we have very bit different backgrounds for how we were raised mm-hmm. and so i think that definitely plays a big role in how we approach our careers and why we do what we do with you you know being with like with your mom and your dad but like both having like your mom having the design Mm -hmm. company your dad being the engineer and everything like everything being driven around making money and Mm -hmm. to produce security in the future Mm -hmm. and how that's just basically the most important at least from my perspective of like how you talked about it like that being like such a critically important like that's the reason you do anything that you do is just you make money so that you have a future so you You don't don't end up under a bridge (laughs) yeah we say it all the time you don't end up under a bridge whereas for me had a totally different upbringing and I think for me, I was probably just always trying to prove myself to others and to myself that I could do these things. Um, but I, your, yours was very uh, black and white in the sense that it was like, if this isn't producing some sort of concrete monetary value, then there's no point. There's, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it was more like I just genuinely loved getting to do what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, for me, like it, it, it bled off, it bled over into my personal life, like what I was doing personally, like with like artistic expression or writing code, like that's, that was just a sort of like a seamless boundary between my personal life and my work life, because it was all just, I loved it and was fulfilling whether or not it produced value at the end of the day. Yeah. That was a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned that in the last show, like asking you, like, why are you, <laughs> why are you drawing or yeah. why are you, you know, m- mixing around beats on your computer? <laughs> you yeah. definitely have, you're always making stuff just yeah. for your own enjoyment. Yeah. Since we're, I, I really want people who are a partner to or a close friend or relative to someone who has had like some sort of health problem. I, I want to frame this whole conversation about, you know, I told my side of the story mm-hmm. last time. I want you to tell your side of the story because mm-hmm. we're, we're still realizing that those two stories are really vastly yeah. different. <laughs> so let's just start off with that was some background. Mm-hmm. Let's start off with what happened that day. Yeah. So I think the the, the first thing that I always think about of that day is I feel guilty for not answering the phone. Like I had just gotten, uh, I had just gotten done working out and I was getting in my car at the grocery, getting ready to go home. And I got these two, two quick calls from an unknown number. Mm-hmm. I, 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 ha- I never, I have never in my life picked up an unknown number. So there's no reason that I would ever do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, like I have this, 
after guilt, you know, now that I realized mm-hmm. what those phone calls were, which was Elena. Um, and it wasn't until a few moments later, I got a call from Bradford. And as soon as I saw that, as soon as I saw Bradford's number show up, I immediately knew something was gone. So something had gone wrong. So Elena was the Pilates coach I was yeah. working with that day. And Bradford is your son yeah. who lives with us and was at home at the time. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. That, yeah. <laughs> that's good context. <laughs> Just in context and background. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as I saw the Bradford, my son calling, I was like, oh, something's up. And so I picked up and I, I cannot, I was actually thinking about this before the, we started recording. Like, I don't, I can't remember exactly what was said, but I just, like he said, something happened to Jen and, and the ambulance is here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I'm pretty sure that Elena had, he had come in and like walked into the situation. Basically he was yeah. out in the art studio, had come in to just, I, I can't imagine how traumatized he is, um, but like he <laughs> came show. into the situation of just seeing you um, and the, the, the emergency responders and, you know, so anyway, he called me and kind of gave me some context. I think he was also at the time talking to Elena on via the Zoom call. She was kind of giving him yeah. guidance and probably asked him to call me. Mm-hmm. So I, I was driving home just trying to remain calm, trying not to go like off into worst case scenarios for everything. Um, and I pulled up to the house and I saw the ambulance there and the the stu- the downstairs carport doors open so i knew that that's probably where you were mm-hmm. so i walked in and i just remember like the the emergency gurney was the back of it was facing me so i couldn't see you i was on the- you were on the gurney i could just see like maybe your feet and mm-hmm. then there were two emt people kind of you know orbiting around you and i just remember walking around even man just saying it I, like i can feel my voice like the emotion in my voice mm-hmm. but anyway walking around the edge of the gurney and then seeing the side of your face and seeing like you had blood on your face and i was just i i just didn't know like I, it was just i had no idea what like what happened and it was just this surreal moment of seeing you laying there out of it with blood on your face and it just like I don't know, I don't I don't know how to describe it yeah, other than it's just like scary. yeah, scary, devastating. Yeah. And so they were the NTs were asking me questions. It, Elena, like the Zoom call had ended by then. I think they had let her go because Bradford was there, and then I was there. Mm-hmm. And I think we were just trying to piece together what had happened. They were asking me, "You were out of it, like you were trying to talk, but you were like definitely not, you know." coherent oddly enough though they were they were asking me questions and they asked me if you were allergic to anything and i said no i don't think so and out of nowhere you were like no no no, i'm allergic to penicillin (laughs) (laughs) and i was like really like i didn't realize that we're both allergic to penicillin but like that was like you're allergic to penicillin yes we both are (laughs) i learned something new about you every day um but yeah like it was really weird because like out of it was like a just some random you know, piece of information that you were able to pick out of nowhere. Whereas every other question and every other thing that you were saying was just like very incoherent. Really? Yeah. So that you're like the blood on your face, like that was because you had like, bitten. like I thought maybe you had fallen and smashed your face or something, but like you had bitten through your tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, had basically had you stabilized, but they were going to take you, you know, to the ER that the pandemic was going on. So they were like, 
you can you can't come with us but you can follow us you it might take a while before they will let you in um but they at least had you stabilized i guess and um i'm trying to think now how i started to get this story i must have at some point talked to your pilates instructor i think at some point mm -hmm. we must have talked um otherwise i can't think of how i would have known what had happened yeah. um it gets like really murky because i think i was just in like um like i was just in survival mode of like like how do i what do i need to do like on high alert you know yeah. like what's going to happen what do i need to do how do i just make sure that um i take care of things you know in the moment so and in the moment like you had you had a young kid at home you had three cats yeah, yeah. that were indoor outdoor cats. You had to get them inside mm -hmm. if, and then you had to figure out where they were taking me. Yeah. And somewhere in there, you must have connected with my Pilates coach yeah. and gotten some background because. Yeah. Unless maybe Bradford had also known some of it because she was telling him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that was sort of the immediate. And then I went, you know, they took you to the ER. Then I went to the ER and I had to wait a while before they let me back there. It was like a, an hour or so. Mm -hmm. And then when I went back there, they had you in like one of the rooms and you were, you know, in the bed and then you, know, you were all hook, hooked up to all the things. And um, you were more coherent at that point. Like you were talking to you. Yeah, you were taught, you were having for the most part coherent sounding conversations well what okay so <laughs> i i i vaguely remember this and in my mind i made perfect sense the yeah. whole time but what when someone has a stroke what kinds of things do they say what was incoherent yeah. well it was it's really hard to describe it was almost like it was like a dream conversation a little bit mm. like you could have you were describing some things that had happened to you like i think you could vaguely you were vaguely you were telling me the story about you thought you had the straps in your feet but oh. you were holding them in your hand yeah but your words would sometimes get garbled and your like your your mouth was not syncing up correctly mm -hmm. to the and you were always constantly struggling to find a word that you were looking for mm -hmm. um so it was like it's kind of like a weird like a dream state almost yeah and you would kind of go in and out like you would you would have a like the more coherent you were it was like that would, it took a lot of energy and then like then your body would i guess sort of like lose that focus because it just couldn't your brain couldn't produce the energy required to be that focused and then it would kind of you would kind of go back into yeah you know and and like either not saying something that made sense or just not speaking at all and kind of mm. you know resting i guess yeah so and then the, obviously like the ER doctors were there asking questions, um, to doing, you. yeah, to you and to me. And yeah. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure then at that point's probably must've talked to Elena mm -hmm. to get more details. Um, and they were like doing blood work and took you to get like a CT scan and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but you definitely, oh, well, we were there for a while and you, you know, you started to improve. I think they immediately like put you on all the anti-seizure medicine possible and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then eventually they released us like there's nothing we don't know yet what happened you're gonna need like you'll need to go see a specialist yeah um there's nothing we can do for you here like you'll be better off just to be at home Mm -hmm. just don't do anything like be in bed and don't do anything and take these meds until you know more anti-seizure meds were the only thing they gave me yeah i think so yeah so we had never had anything i don't think we'd ever been to the er together no at that point so what what do you do when you're being asked a ton of questions you don't know what the situation is what how did you answer anything? How did you respond? Were you like, I don't know, I need to call her parents or I need to, or do you not want to tell anybody yet? Cause you don't know what's happened. Just how did you navigate that situation? That's a good question because it's really hard for me to remember all the questions they were asking, but it, I don't, I don't feel like they were, I think they were asking things that were more acute in nature, like what happened. And I think that's where it was, it was me relying on like speaking with Elena Mm. and you were also able to provide some context as well. Like you were able to answer some questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I like it, I was in, like I said, I was in such sort of like high alert, you know, fighter flight mode. Like I really wasn't thinking like bigger picture or about like consequences or like it was just like it was in the moment the questions that were being asked in the moment i wasn't thinking about like oh man we don't we don't really we haven't never really put together a plan for this like i wasn't even thinking about calling your folks or worrying about having to tell them it was really just like making sure that like (laughs) you weren't gonna die you know in the moment that truly like what was going through your head i yeah i mean i just i didn't know we just didn't know anything. So I didn't know what was going to happen. It was just very, it was a very, everything was very just almost like, uh, it's hard to describe, but it was like, there was no time. It was just only the moment. That's it. There was no passing in time. You were just directly <laughs> dealing with this situation and there was nothing else in, like to, I think, to focus on. Yeah. So... We were in the ER for, I don't know how long. I, I probably half a day. I want to say we were there for, oh, really? we got home. It would, let's see, it would have happened around five ish. Mm-hmm. And we got, I want to say we got home like in the morning, you know, like two ish or something like that. Really? I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we came home and now I went to run ready to bed. Yeah. As far as I could, could you probably sleep? so, um, n- n- no. No. <laughs> Were you just like, I have to just look at her the whole time and make yeah. sure she doesn't die? Yeah, I think it was, that's when, by the, when I got home, I think that's when like everything started, my brain started, the other parts of my brain started to come back online. Yeah. And I started, that's when I started to think about things and started to think about implications of what had just happened. Was Bradford still home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So He was living with us at the time, so yeah. he was probably... Bradford, for context, so Bradford was a high school teenager boy, mm-hmm. also going through a pan, going through the pandemic. So he was pretty much oblivious to everything that was happening. Like he was so focused on his 
situation. His experience as yeah. a teenage boy. Poor baby. Um, yeah. Okay. So really it was just you and I. It was like just you and I being there. Yeah. And then I went right to sleep, I'm assuming. Yeah. They, I, I think they probably also gave you something to, to help you relax. Well, maybe not. You were so relaxed to begin with. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were asleep. You okay. were asleep. You, that first week, you pretty much slept 20 hours out of the 24 hours of a day. Like you were asleep if not more 20 to 22 hours especially those first two days or so first two or three days yeah um it was it fucking sucks like it was just terrible i mean to have me sleeping all the time and not doing anything no. <laughs> i already <laughs> that's not embarrassing no, no. <laughs> you're just was, like oh, no, i hate no, her no 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 what i mean is it, that like i said like that's when i started to think through all the implications I didn't know if you were ever going to come back. Like I, I just realized I had this moment where I was like, this could be our life now. Like this could be Jen now, like Mm. the Jen that I knew before maybe gone forever. Like I may never get that Jen back. So that's what I'm saying is that's why it just, it was horrible. Um, that just like hurts my heart and my stomach and my everything. Yeah, it was just, it was terrible. It was a terrible feeling. Like just having a thought of like, I may never have another conversation with her again. Like I had that the morning, that morning, mm-hmm. you know, it was a scary, it was definitely a scary thought. The, the one, I guess the one good thing, positive thing about that is I think somewhere deep inside of me, I think I always worried that I never knew how I would respond to a situation like that, you know, because I'd never really been in a situation like that. And I haven't always responded to tense situations like that well in the past. And I've had people tell me. Well, you have had situations like that in the past, though, like with your dad. Yeah. I'm just, That's like, probably the closest <laughs> scenario. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that I, like, it was such a deeply traumatic thing. Like, I don't, I just, I don't know that I've ever responded to situations like that. And I, I've had people tell me, like, in the past that I'm, like, a self-centered person or a selfish person. Because... I think it's just that <laughs> that's a whole other, I think, discussion. But I think that I was carrying that around with me is what I'm saying. It's like I was carrying around this worry that I, maybe I am a selfish person. And if someone really needs me, how am I going to respond to that? Mm-hmm. And in that moment where I realized I may never get you back, like you may be a different gen forever. That part of me that at least I was worried about did not exist. Like I never once, I was just like, okay, well, so be it. Like this, this is what it is now. It it really doesn't matter. I still, Jen is still Jen. We're still married. I still deeply love her. And this is just how we'll just have to adapt and love each other differently. Like it never entered my mind to like run away or 
you know, not stay engaged. So I guess in that, there was at least one positive aspect that came out of that was maybe it helped me realize I could probably trust myself and that maybe I wasn't an awful person. <laughs> you didn't. I don't think we talked about that. Like that never occurred to me because I was so caught up in my own world. Mm -hmm. I, it was months and months after everything had happened that we talked a little bit about you being like, well, I thought I might never get you back. And it never occurred to me to leave. And that, that was a huge moment to me in our relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me too. I think it was a yeah. big, it, it show. I think it just opened up an entirely new, a, a to like an entirely new universe of what it means to be in a relationship. Yeah. And what, what it means to love somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, and I don't, I was just overwhelmed when you shared that. I think I might have cried <laughs> when you told me that. And I think about it, I thought about it a lot immediately after, but I never am not thinking about that yeah. and wondering, now it's my turn to be like, how would I react in that situation <laughs> when I'd be like, all right, see ya, packing up my bag, that was fun, good luck with this whole situation. Um, but I won't. It's okay if you respond that way. <laughs> we all, I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> no, I think I would. Now I'll be like, oh, he didn't leave me. Now I'm stuck. Like, but no, it. Um, I don't know. It just there's some. It, it was horrible. But in that regard, it was also. Uh, I know that you're going to get to this or maybe you've talked about this, but it, in some ways it was. There are two sides to it. There's a duality to that experience. There's this scary, horrible aspect of it, but there's also this almost universal, mystical, spiritual side of it. Like it really does open up parts of you mm -hmm. that we don't typically pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. It takes your, it takes your breath away. Like, in those moments mm -hmm. and then you realize just so much of what mattered before mm -hmm. just falls away yeah so fast yeah it happens so fast <laughs> now the practical like the day-to-day -day part of it was very was also very different like i was suddenly in this mode where i had to do everything but you were working from home because mm -hmm. covid mm -hmm. but you was still had to deal you know, with Bradford and all of the struggles he was going through. Yeah. I, I still had all of the normal things that I was taking care of, like mm -hmm. all the house and the cats and everything. And now very quickly, like ramping up on all the things that needed to happen to be able to take care of you. The one thing I remember was like, you had so many different medicines you had to take mm -hmm. and at different times of the day. Mm -hmm. And I was so worry like i i had this worry like i have to always make sure this is correct like if i get a pill in the wrong order like i could potentially make her worse like no. you know i just i can't like i was like i have to i have to be perfect i can't make one single mistake because that could you know mean that could you know slow down your recovery or worse like damage you in some way so i just remember feeling very anxious about 
trying to stay on top of everything and write down literally word for word everything that anybody was telling me to do, you know, the doctors or the specialists. You are a very professional (laughs) uh, medical appointment note taker now. Like you had everything documented and shared notes with my parents and me and... Uh, you I also just, had a whole system for medications. I rem- I think I remember mm-hmm. one night like trying to fill my pill box myself and being like, mm-hmm. I what is I can't do this. Yeah, I had to mark things, you know, for what was in the morning, what was in the evening, mm-hmm. Ugh, making sure that like like everything runs out at a different time. So like having to plan for getting a refill, just like this rolling cascading effect of like tracking when when are things going to roll run out but there was a time i remember one day when you this this there are two instances of this like especially like in the first month or so you were still pretty much in your head you had it in your head that you were fine and you were going to be going back to work that monday Mm um i mean this is one of the things that i love about you this is one of the things that i why i think we make such a balanced relationship is that the rules don't apply to you like in your head rules <laughs> rules and <laughs> regulations are for everyone else but not for jen like, yeah it's a sagittarius <laughs> um but i it's, it's very good like i think that helps balance this out but in some ways you know that cannot serve you and in this instance it wasn't serving you you know yeah. like you didn't think the rules of strokes and seizures were going to apply to you like you were fine yeah. and you were still operating that way so there was there was one time for the four hours i was awake i <laughs> yeah. was like we're full on yeah, yeah. um but there was one instance with the pills where you you questioned um if you had i can't remember it was like either you questioned whether or not i had given you your correct medication mm-hmm because I think you had thought that I had missed something and you were worried about it. Like you were, I could, like, I know, like I can read your face when you're like angry about something and you had that look on your face, like, which is understandable. Like you're also wanting to get better. And I, you, like you had this look on your face, like I had messed up and it was, uh, I mean, it, it was really hard to deal with that because then I started second guessing myself and like did i mess up like no like i am i've been so on this and i this is all i think about like there's no way i messed up but maybe i did you know it was a very hard moment um because i could understand why you would be worried about it and that but then i also had to i had to question myself i had to question your perspective Mm -hmm. because like your you know your brain wasn't 100 percent and then I probably wasn't 100% either because I was so stressed out. It was just, that was just a very hard moment to that navigate. Just, that speaks so much to who you are because I'm sure I was saying wacky things. Those first, well, I continued to say wacky things <laughs> for months after that. Uh, to, to today. <laughs> to today. <laughs> but like, you're so, um, just open to everyone's perspective and feelings and (laughs) you know making space for how you know what someone is going through in this case like to the point where you were listening to your brain damaged wife tell you things yeah but like i don't know i i don't know how to answer that like i I don't know how to not do that like 
you just because you had we didn't know 100% what had happened to you and you were still you know functioning and could, for them you know there were periods of time when you know you were coherent like mm-hmm. I don't know I it's, I'm just it's not saying, black or like, white it's not black or white yeah. I'm just saying like that's your your approach to relationships that way is very different than mm. me but i think yeah, that's, that's what true. makes yeah. our relationship work yeah i've learned so much from you about that and, and that's just like a touching little yeah. moment that you would give me yeah the benefit of the doubt for a second mm-hmm. like even though you're going through this you're still a human being you still have thoughts about things mm-hmm. and I do, i'm gonna listen to you yeah. Like, oh. Well, I I could have also gotten something wrong. <laughs> yeah. But that's but probably like, not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really what it was like for those first three months. Like everything was almost like a conversation, like in that regard. Same. We had the same thing with budgeting. Again, you were like, stroke rules don't apply to me. I'm still good. I'm gonna go in here and move money around and. Like you having access to YNAB and our accounts was. <laughs> I can't believe. <laughs> You, I just remember looking at the but like going in and looking at the budget and realizing, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. Like this, these numbers are wackadoo. And you, you telling me um, that you had gone in to balance the accounts and you had taken care of it. And I remember trying to explain to you the like the way you did it essentially made it on the surface look correct, but in the reality, like at the end of the month, we would have been a huge chunk of money would have been gone. Mm-hmm. And I like you got, and in that instance, you did get angry with me because you didn't like me telling you that you had done something wrong. Because from your perspective, you wanted your brain to be good. You wanted your brain to be healed. And I, I, I can imagine like hearing me tell you that you had messed up when you thought you had done something correctly was probably, it was sort of like telling you something that you didn't want to hear. It was like confirming the fact that yes, you did well, I can just be punchy about budget. <laughs> That's no true. That's definitely so. <laughs> yeah. <in this> card. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have a lot of memory about this, but I do remember realizing, like, wait, at some moment it sunk yeah, in that I had done something incorrect, <laughs> yeah. and you were right, and I, I should not open this yeah. app anymore. Yeah. I needed to yeah. trust you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And luckily, I think eventually, because we were, you know, basically, you know, I was never more than like 15 feet away from you at any point in time for, you know, that first month or whatever. (laughs) We had so many of those moments. I think it helped you help both of us kind of accept where we were Mm -hmm. in this. And you were able to kind of finally like relax a little bit and let me take care of you. Like, I can just remember, maybe it was a couple weeks in, this moment where I did kind of see on your face, like this, you kind of accepted how, that this is how things were, and that you could finally just let go a little bit and let me take care of you um, on in a relational level. It took you much longer to get there with your job. Like it, it took a, I would say it took three months before you finally let it sink in that you could relax and focus on healing your brain and not worry about work. It took a long time for you to get there. Yeah. And I think that that that's another, you know, duality 
of experiences like this, because even though we had been married for six or seven years at that point, my, I had never been in a relationship where I fully trusted someone. Yeah. And this really forced that issue onto the table over a long period of time and ultimately changed our relationship for the better because I mean, just being who I am and wanting to do things myself, like I can, I can fake a relationship for a really long time. Like, yeah, sure. I trust you. You're doing great. (laughs) And then I'll go into the budget and do it my way after you're done doing it your way and change everything. This was, wait, do you do that now? No, (laughs) (laughs) no, the budget is a good measuring stick. I think like of trust. Yeah. And even like, uh, having conversations, we were going to doctors like, Oh oh my God. Yeah. Multiple times a week. Yeah. And no one knows. And no one knows. So frustrating. Yeah. Like you just assume, Oh, the doctor's going to know they can look at your MRI and be like, Oh, it's bing, bang, boom. That's this. No, nobody knows. And depending on which doctor you talk to, they're going to have a different opinion. Yeah. And I couldn't remember what different doctors said. And a lot of what would happen in doctor's offices would be so triggering for me that I eventually would have to completely rely on your memory of what Mm -hmm. different doctors had said so we could piece together what we were going to try that month for getting better. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, I think that's, um, that's when it starts to turn into more of like, there was the moment that affected us and then there's like the for the rest of our lives that like this is never gonna not have a part in our relationship like yeah. this is forever because well, you're always gonna ask me <laughs> are you stroking out <laughs> no I, yeah i mean in a funny way yes in a funny way are rea- you having seizure salad yeah. tonight <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is i had that moment where i was like i'm never getting jen back mm-hmm. um and in some ways, like, I, like, I don't like the gin that you were before that is not, you are not that person anymore. Yeah. Um, and it, so it's like, it's something that we have forever. Like the way that we relate to each other is all, is very different. Who you are as a person is quite different. Um, so like all of the ways that we were used to relating to each other, pre-stroke seizure mm-hmm. it's very different now mm-hmm. um but I, I guess in the big picture like yeah well that's things are never permanent things are always changing it's not about like trying to the more you try to hold on to the way something used to be mm-hmm. and deny the reality of what how things are like that's that's where i think things would fall apart that's where i think we probably would have failed but i think we've both been able to accept things for how they are and just kind of start to adapt and relate to each other in different ways, even though <laughs> it sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, we're still in a married relationship where we get frustrated and annoyed with each other and mm-hmm. we still have our same dynamics, you know? Yeah. Um, there's just, it's now just in a different way because you look at the world and you're even yourself in a very different way than you did before. You said to me last week that um, when you listened to the episode I recorded last week, that 
there were some things in there that were triggering for you to hear because you didn't realize I had thought about them that way or we hadn't talked about it. Um, and I, I don't know like what a caretaker or a, you know, a spouse's experiences in this, but like what, what were key moments for you that you think the other person like me in the situation didn't realize was a moment? Um, well, what I think it was triggering just because I'd never really heard you talk about it in so much detail. And then it would put me right back in that in this moment. So yeah. like I was just sort of having a trauma response. I, know, I had to like it took me a full 24 hours yeah. to calm down after recording that. But you're quite like as a caretaker and it's this is going to be hard to talk about because I feel like when I say these things, it makes me a bad person. But I'm like my the caretaker aspect of me is like the only thing that matters is Jen's health. The only thing that I should care about is making sure that you're okay. And it's a very isolating feeling because it's, it's like, if I think about any of my needs or any of my feelings or any of my desires, if I, if I shift my focus away from you, I'm a bad person. Yeah. I can only ever think about your well being and everything else falls by the wayside. And it's just a weird, it's a, it's a, not an easy set of feelings to go through. Um, yeah, I can't imagine because we had already been in lockdown for quite a while. So pretty much only interacting with each other. And then this happened mm -hmm. and we had to be even more in contact all the time. And we, yeah. we weren't really talking about it no. with people. No. So you didn't or each other or you could, we couldn't talk about it <laughs> yeah. together and you had nothing but like your own mind. Yeah. And then our little bubble. Yeah. It was isolating. Was I can't imagine how hard that must've been. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. I feel like you, even, but even now though, I guess that's what I'm saying is even now, like hearing you listening to your first recording as a caretaker, like hearing you talk about your experience, and again, this is, I'm going to feel bad about saying these things, but I want to be really honest about them. Yeah. Like you were talking about it from your perspective and you're doing all these things with a, you know, undesigned to grind and trying to help and give information to other people. And it was like, it was all about you. And mm -hmm. like, that's when my ego started to come in and I was like, wait a minute, man, like I've been busting my ass, you know, trying to yeah. just like adapting to every change this, you know, every decision that you make that you, there've been so many like times when you've just taken a hard right and you're like, okay, we're going this direction now. And I'm just like trying to roll with it with things that affect our lives and on a very big, you yeah. know, on a big level, you know, that changed just the course of our lives. But then I, but I had to remind myself that like, that's my, like, I have to let go of that. Like, this isn't about me. And even like, it's just not, it's not, it's, that, it's that episode wasn't about <laughs> yes. you, but I think this, these kinds of experiences are never about just the one person going through it. Hopefully, you know, you're not going through it alone. And, but what is happening has a traumatic impact on yeah. everyone around you. And you could easily say like, Jen, you would not be here without me right now. 
it is not fair that you don't tell that part of the story. And I, I couldn't disagree with that. But that's, that's where I'm saying is like, I, I think I had those thoughts and, and sometimes it's just like, ah, uh, me, like, of this course. is unfair. Like I feel bad for myself. It like, is unfair. Who cares? She was caring for me, you know, yeah. but it's, it's just bigger than that. Like even for you, like what you're doing, what you're doing now, it's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. Yeah. Like it's something that it's like, it's for, it's for a larger a greater good but I, and that's why i say i feel bad about sit, thinking those thoughts but that's why i want to say those thoughts is because at least for me as that's my experience as the caretaker is like just being forced into this situation and like having all these really <laughs> having all these emotions and thoughts that make me feel guilty and make me feel selfish and make me feel um like i'm not doing good enough or like i'm not doing something right um, meanwhile, just wanting to just have my own life and not be so I like, it's such an isolating experience sometimes because I don't like, I don't, it's, I don't have anybody to talk to. Like if I want to really talk about this, I have to go talk to my therapist. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you don't, you don't want a therapist, you know, you just want to be able to Go to a friend's house yeah. that you've known for 20 years and have a yeah. beer and just be like, this shit sucks. Yeah. Jen sucks <laughs> right now. And not have them fix it. Not yeah. have, like, it's just such a big, I don't think, I guess my, the where I've landed on that is like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm able to breach that gap. Like there's a chasm and I can't shout loud enough across it for someone to hear me. Like, no matter what I, yeah, no matter what I say, I don't think, I don't know that I would be understood, you know, and that this is probably then getting into my psychology and that's not about that, but. Well, here's a question. Did I ever say thank you? Oh yeah, for sure. Many times you've said thank you. We've, yes, we've both had cried about this, like. Yeah. We've had moments where I, we've been able to like look at each other deeply and appreciate how much like we love each other and have supported each other. But how long was it before I did say thank you? Because it couldn't have been in those first few months. Um, when you know, yeah, I want to say probably I didn't need to hear it then. Like, I think oh, we were just in survival, like just caretaking mode, like nothing really mattered. Like, I think like in like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like we were on the bottom. Yeah. Your brain's just focused on survival. And then as things become more stable, then other parts of your cognitive thinking start to come online. And that I think it was probably six months, like the first three months were very, very rough. And I like, that's when I was like, I don't know if things are ever going to be anywhere close to normal again. You were still trying to get your meds figured out you're like all over the place in terms of your responses to things. But about the six month mark, like I I felt like there was like this definite, you had turned a corner and you were, you were able to have a conversation and be around people uh, for very limited, short amounts of time. But you definitely had more than like, you know, five minutes worth of stamina before you had to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So it was around there. Like I think around six month mark, that's when, you were finally really focused on healing. You'd finally let go of worrying about work. And we were finally starting to have more 
personal interpersonal conversations and that's probably i think when it was dawning on you like everything that you had gone through and like everything that we were doing for each other mm-hmm. that's probably when we started to have conversations like that and when you were like thank you um that just um go, going through one of the hardest things it it seems like a very as a as a caretaker or a partner in this you're very alone until the hopefully the other person comes back to some extent you're not even just mentally alone you're also physically alone like i wasn't allowed to have sex i wasn't allowed to like raise my heart yeah right like intimacy was something i don't know like that just wasn't on the table and i don't remember like being able to like be physically uh, you know caring yeah with you for a really long time yeah i, I would i mean for me I, I don't think my brain went there because i was just so focused on being a caretaker mm-hmm. i didn't really have the brain space to think about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um so i think something like that is probably more a now thing like the long tail of yeah. the experience and how that and we're still coming back from it yeah yeah. yeah, we're still trying to find, like, what what is sex now after <laughs> all this? And I can't, I'm imagining, like, every time we, like, walk up to that line, you're probably thinking in the back of your head, like, am I going to kill her? Well, that's a good question, because that's one of the things I don't think we've ever actually talked about. Mm-hmm. And we haven't figured that aspect of things out yet. Yeah. I don't know that that's for this recording, but... <laughs> It is, yeah. Like I, I, I definitely miss you. I definitely, in terms of us, I know I'm not a big cuddler, not but I definitely. <laughs> but I do cuddle you. Like yeah. I do. I definitely miss touching, like us touching each other and being close to each other physically. Um, I don't know what to say about that, other than I do miss it. Yeah, we should have a show with our therapist on <laughs> to talk about sex post-stroke because it's the whole thing. Um, I, I want to talk about the burnout factor for you because I don't know if you had ever been burned out from work, but I definitely remember at some point you being burned out from this experience. Mm-hmm. And I forget if you went away and someone came and took care of me or what happened there, but I, you were so... At, at some point, I just remember recognizing that, like, you were completely yeah done. Yeah. Um, I, that's, I guess that's the complicating factor. All of this is I'm still my own self dealing with my own life yeah. as, and while also being a caretaker. So I, you know, I was turning 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going through all of these, you know, self-reflection you know, life questioning things that happen when you're turning 50, I guess. And, and we've all, never talked also about Also dealing, that. yeah, also dealing with just the stuff with Bradford. Yeah. It just, they were, I had stuff going on with other family members. It just, at that point in time, I felt like I was the only healthy, non brain damaged person. <laughs> in my not even just in our life but in my in my immediate like in my family like everyone it seemed like everyone else was dealing with something that's also when my my uncle had who's my dad who's basically my father figure yeah 
went through his stuff. It was just, oh my God, now I'm thinking about it. His was so much cuter, though. <laughs> well, but he basically got his heart removed and had a robot heart put in, and then he had a stroke in the recovery. I, but yeah. it's all to say, like, I everything love, was all right. Hold on, I have to pause. I love his, I love his uncle so much, like, <laughs> like my own yeah. blood of my blood. And when I when I went to the hospital with you to go visit him after he had had the stroke, after the heart surgery, he, he referred to everything as horses. It yeah. was the cutest thing. Any vehicle was a horse. Any person was a horse. Yeah. Like, where are all those horses going? <laughs> where did that horse come from? Oh, gosh, he's just the kindest person. He had a much better brain damage response than I did, which was like, did you give me my right pills? <laughs> Uh, his was, yeah. He's just a beautiful. He really is. They're amazing. Angel. They're amazing people. Yeah. Um, when did you, what was the breaking point for you? What, how did you realize that? And what did you do about it? Um, I could no longer trust anything that any thought that I had, like nothing in my brain made sense anymore. And I felt like I had like a boulder in my, on my chest mm. and I couldn't trust any thought that I had. I couldn't trust myself to have a correct thought like or to respond. Guessing everything or you were too tired to think straight. It, all, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like this, the physical sensation is, um, it's like a rubber band that has lost its tension mm. and it's just very everything is slow to snap back into place everything is saggy and just it's a weird it was a weird place and also i had all of that other stuff the personal stuff that i was going through and i was I, like i had no outlet and that's when i i think that was when i was like i have to go talk to a therapist i have to find a therapist to talk about this with, mm -hmm. and i have to have at least a couple of days by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so to ask, to answer your question, how did I recover from it? I still, I don't actually know that I've ever, it's just, an, I don't know. It's like, there's not a black and white. Okay. I'm burnt out. And then now I'm good. It's just chronic. Like it's well, it's like a ebb and flow. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely much better and much healthier because of all the therapy that I went through, mm -hmm. but I still have times when, I'm like, man, I just need a minute, you know, like I need this, this week, perfect example. Like, it seems like every time I try to plan something, some fucking emergency happens that just throws it all up in the air. Yeah. Context. We're both um, on quote unquote <laughs> vacation right now. And as soon as Lee booked, I booked a silent retreat for four days. And then I was back in the ER. Yeah. It just immediately yeah. happens. And then I was at bed rest, so we're not going anywhere. He had to cancel his retreat. Yeah. Poor babe is <laughs> back taking care of me again. Yeah. Well, and here's the, and I want to talk about this because we haven't talked about this yet, but I want to be honest about it. Like that happened and I like had to drop everything. What and happened? So you're, you started experiencing unfamiliar head pain. Yeah. Two or three weeks ago. Yeah. So immediately... I are like, I'm back in that spot. Like what the fuck is about to happen? Is she, is she like getting primed for an even bigger stroke? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I definitely was thinking like, yeah. this is it. I could see I'm the look on her face. Yeah. 
So it was just right back there. Like I, I it, it seemed like we had adapted to it and we were, we'd found a new stride and then boom, like, nah, don't get too comfortable. Yeah. Like this could happen at any moment in time. Like there's no predicting it. So that was kind of just a moment, like devastating anxiety ridden moment of realizing, oh man, we're never getting away from this moment of three weeks. Yeah. Figuring that out. And then I, it hit me when your doc, what I, I asked your doctor, like, well, what, like, is it okay for me to be more than 15 feet away from her? Do I always need to have line of sight? And your doctor was like, until we know what's going on. Yeah. Because you don't want her to lose consciousness and by herself mm-hmm. and it just everything back. Yeah. It really, mm. it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Like at, at first I was like, man, you know, I have to can- cancel my plans yet again. But then like the reality, just the realness of just how, uh, it just sucks, you know, like, you just, you just don't know. Yeah. But then, you know, we were having a discussion this morning. We were talking about the Sailor Swift concert mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, I can just drive to Houston by myself to go do that. Mm-hmm. And I was think for me, like as your, as the caretaker, as the person who's gone through this, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about driving <laughs> four hours by yourself there and back? Like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, I know you want to go do this Taylor Swift thing with your friend and have your alone time, but no, like that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. why, why would you like, why would you think that's okay? Like you're feeling better, but it doesn't negate the fact that like just last week we were in the ER and like your loop, we still haven't talked to the vascular neurologist and on top of that, like I gave up all my plans to to go into one hundred. Oh, I gotta know go on vacation. Yeah, like what? That's such bullshit. Like, oh my god, your wife sucks so hard. No, that's so but that's worse. that's what I'm saying is like I feel like an awful person because that's what I'm thinking in the back of my head. Man, what about me? This is so I unfair. love your awful person voice. <laughs> like, I wish you would just like be that when you're feeling it because it's so relatable. I feel like that all the time. Me. What do you mean I can't? I'm not a child. I can drive myself in Houston if I want to go see Taylor Swift. I'm going to go see it. Like, I'm alive and I'm feeling better, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's just bonkers to think about. This is life. Like, this is re- like the reality is this is how life, this is the universe all the time. All the time. And we're just. We block it out. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's, a, it's a weird duality. Like, on one side, it sucks and it's scary, but then on the other side, like if you really look at the deeper underlying nature of what it all, what this experience that we're all going through is all about, like it's overwhelming, like it's awe-inspiring. It's I love it. Yeah, it's it's an it's just an incredible thing to think about, to experience, to realize, like this is existence this is the it's so much bigger than these tiny things that we get caught up on yeah um it's just like it's such a i don't even i want to say like a gift or a treasure but it's not it's just it's beyond description like just how 
magical it is. Yeah. Mm. This is why I love you. <laughs> um, okay. That was a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I want to, we've talked a little bit about like what happened and the impact on our relationship, the hard parts, the best parts. What advice do you have from your experience that you would give to people who are trying to, yeah. who are in your position? Yeah. Helping somebody that's sick. Um, or helping somebody that you see yeah. approaching that yeah. border. Because I think you knew I was approaching it. Well, I mean, I got the sense when you were, you know, when you told me, I'll, I'll let you tell the story, but when you were like, you opened up your brain to the universe to do whatever, to show you whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely could feel like everything was just coming towards a juncture. Yeah. But I there, I don't think in that, in that kind of advice is really just you're in a relationship with another human being and you have to let that human being be themselves. Like you can't try to force someone to not to, to bend to your expectations of them. Like it's all about a relationship. So you just always have to like be supportive and understanding, but the really the, I think the more like you can't, like you can't give advice for some, for something in the future, really, I guess, because it's going to be different every time mm -hmm. for, and depending on the dynamic of the relationship, but posts, like once you're in that caretaker mode, I think in general, please find someone to talk to, like find some kind of outlet, some shoulder to cry on, to lean on some ear that you can just don't keep all of that inside mm -hmm. because you're also going to have all your regular life going on, your regular problems that you've been dealing with. They're still going to be there. So please find someone to talk to. Yeah. And for you, that was, it ended up being my therapist. And what kind of techniques does, why did you choose that therapist and what kind of techniques did they use? Um, well, that's probably, I don't know if that it's totally relevant because I think for me, what helped me was I was dealing with a lot of deep personal issues mm -hmm. and it was working through that stuff. Like I didn't talk as much about like what you and I were going through. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, techniques in cognitive behavioral therapy, like CBT is just a big thing, mm -hmm. a very concrete way of, I think, working through things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think just me being able to work through that stuff was what gave me the balance and I guess energy and recovery to, to have the space to still be a good caretaker. That's really interesting. You had to, you didn't go to your therapist and unload about like what was happening in the immediate moment. You were tending to the things that you already knew you needed. Yeah. And in that, in, in taking care of yourself, not the situation it gave you the energy and the strength yes. to come back to the situation 100 percent. interesting yeah because i knew that those issues I, was, I were dealing with were foundational like to me mm -hmm. and the way that i function and related to other people mm -hmm. it was such a big blocker it, like yeah taking care of myself i like listening to your intuition like being self-reflective and, and trusting your gut about what you need 
it's, it's, it's a very valid, like you definitely please do that because I just intuitively knew this is what I need to deal with. And until I deal with this, like if I, if I can't deal with this, I can't be a good caretaker. Mm-hmm. And it definitely opened up, made it much better, you know, much easier for me to be a good caretaker. Yeah. The end result of that on the receiving end of it was you were a lot softer and a lot more emotionally fluid Mm -hmm. because usually it takes you a long time to process things and Mm -hmm. then you have a structured format that you want to follow (laughs) to talk about it and it's not emotional like you let yourself like you're more water yeah now yeah yeah so in general i think and and, uh, i guess i'm getting to my point like in general regardless of your gender Mm -hmm. don't isolate yourself talk to someone find a support network and it's okay it's okay to still have all of the normal feelings and responses that you would have as a human being feeling selfish feeling meh what about me (laughs) (laughs) but in but so that's in general as a male which I can speak to, especially in our culture, um, where we are, our culture does everything it can to like stamp out any emotional response to anything. And if you are weak, if you have an, an emotion is weakness, um, it's unmanly. My advice, like as a male, is fuck that like it is utter bullshit you (laughs) i i've lived both sides of that coin and i can tell you it is far more difficult you are far more brave you are far more real as a human being to face your fears and to work through emotions and to deal with emotions that feel like they will destroy you if you can let yourself experience that stuff, that's I, that's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be a human. So, like, my advice to other men would be, fuck your stupid masculinity. Fuck your machismo. Like, that is bullshit. That's a bullshit front. It's a cop-out to not have to deal with the real problems that you're experiencing. You Use this as an opportunity to, to be a better human being don't don't deny that kind of stuff and work through it and face it you can't have him ladies he's already mine (laughs) (laughs) or guys but that that was something you already were exploring even when we got together but you have gotten to a much deeper level with it what books did you read or videos or movies or podcasts or whatever like how did you get there um it's a slow process mm-hmm. i i always tell especially like folks at work when i'm talking to this i like i don't feel like i turned into a decent human being until i was in my 40s <laughs> <laughs> like maybe my mid-30s is when i truly started to wake up and it was it's been a it is a long slow process for me maybe i'm just a slow learner but it definitely took lots of layers of working through things so therapy definitely cognitive behavioral therapy um, the biggest book that I always tell everybody, because it was probably the one that had the most concrete impact on the way that I looked at myself and dealt with issues, is it's called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. We may have to go back and edit this or add the No, resource. I think that's right. That book, um, I don't know. It just worked for me. It 
it just matched what my brain needed to hear because it was a combination of sort of CBT, but also kind of like meditative, almost Buddhist style techniques of doing meditation. And I think matching up the two really worked for the way my brain works. Mm -hmm. Another really powerful book that I think helped me reframe like how I related to people was nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. That's another really amazing book um, because I do think it, it helps you understand someone from their perspective without in injecting your damage into it or your particular perspective. It's like, it really it does a good job of helping you truly understand where someone else is coming from. Um, those two books are the ones that really, I think had the biggest impact on me. And then beyond that, but just being very patient and you're like, for me, like I, I did a bunch of intensive therapy and I got to a good place. But, you know, you're like, nothing is fixed. Nothing is permanent. You're always changing. And I really did notice a difference. Something new had come up like in my late forties. And I realized, oh, this, there's this whole deeper layer that I have not addressed with myself. There's all of this deep, dark stuff that I don't even understand and I can't make it out. I just know that it's there from, you know, when basically when I was three, four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, horrifying and scary, but I knew I had to do it. Like I just, I knew. So that's all to say, plan on, depending on how damaged you are, <laughs> plan on going to therapy. You're not, it's not one and done. Probably yeah. you're going to be open to the idea that you're going to get to one level and it's going to be good for a while, but then you're going to discover, oh, there's a whole nother, there's the deep sea. Let's mm -hmm. go explore that. So be open to going to therapy multiple times. For me, it was very helpful to find a new therapist that related to me in a very different way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, finding a good therapist, man, Stuart, I I don't know that I could have done the work that I did if I had not worked with him because he somehow knew how to relate to me. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a perfect therapist. Like there were many times when he was, he got things wrong or his assessments were wrong, but that's not what I was there for. I didn't need him to assess me. I needed him to like be this, basically this safe space, this mm -hmm. safe structure for me to kind of work through some stuff. And that like, that's what he gave me. Like I so deeply grateful because he, it was almost, it was almost serendipitous. It's almost like he didn't know, he didn't, maybe he did, maybe he's super smart. Maybe he knew all along, but on the surface, like, what we were doing was not really what mattered. It was on the, like, it was almost like he didn't know what he was doing. You He's, take a while to open up. Yeah. <laughs> Dewey knows how to push your buttons. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, what would you say to anybody that's like, well, how do I find someone like that for me? Um, I'm pretty sure you have a friend or someone in your family who has a good therapist. Mm -hmm. Talk to those people because if they have some, a good therapist, that therapist will know other good therapists. So mm -hmm. ask for referrals in that way. Mm -hmm. Ask your friend to ask their therapist if they know anybody or if they would be willing to see you. Yeah. Um, you can also ask your doctor. Mm -hmm. You yeah. can go on Yelp and read all the reviews. Yeah. Um, or Psychology Today. That's how I, I found yeah. my first therapist. Psychology Today is a good And trust your gut. Like as you're, if you're going that path, you'll have, you'll notice that you have a natural affinity for some people 
than, and than you do for others. And yeah, definitely go with your instincts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love you. I love you too. Okay, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that <laughs> journey on this Saturday morning. Um, anyway, this is, this is Lee. I'm sure you're going to talk to him again, but if you have questions for him, just send them to me and I'll pass them along. And, uh, you can follow him on Liebert. I am uh, Liebert, but I'm not the he doesn't want to promote anything. He does a lot of awesome digital and uh, like physical media artwork. So you can see him on Instagram at Liebert. Um, but otherwise, I hope this helps. And I uh, hope you're staying positive and enjoying life. And I, you know what? I, we've been saying this this week. It's my the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. And I think I'm going to use it to close out the show. Eat if you get hungry. Sleep if you get tired. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, guys.